please. Okay. I'm just going to get closer to you guys. I feel too far away here. I need to get close. I've been away for the last um, five days from home at uh, my graduating school class reunion. Uh, that is 1986. That was that graduating class. So 33 years. It was great to see people who I haven't seen for the last 10 years. Um, that was the last reunion. And some who didn't turn up to the last reunion haven't seen them for close to 30 years. It was great. It was good. But what struck me is that when I got home, it was even better. It was so good to be home. You know, when you're home, you feel secure. You feel comfortable. You can sort of let your hair down. Right? You feel loved. You don't have any, for me, no cares in the world as it were. My wife probably would say something different about that. <laughs> um, but that's the way I felt. And just to come back and be here with you guys, I really missed you. I feel, it feels comfortable. It feels good to be back. The worship was tremendous. Just to connect again. And truly the spirit of the Lord is here with us. Good morning. <laughs> I'm Orlando Thomas. I am a conference ministerial candidate for this denomination and this church. That means I'm on the ordination track. Uh, training to be a minister. And I know what you're thinking. I don't know if I'm going to be a pastor or anything like that. But right now, this is what I'm doing. Uh, the Lord is leading, and I'm trying to surrender completely to that leading. So today, I'll be talking a little bit on, uh, well, this is the fifth, actually, in the series, Letters to Leaders. Last week, for those of you who were here, Pastor Scott spoke about leadership you can trust. Some of us I know, most of us I know, probably don't remember a thing. So go back to the website. You can go back to when Olivier, you shared, I think the week before that, and others of us. Just go back to the website. They are, the sermon series are there, and you can go through them just as, as a refresher. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have demonstrated in no uncertain term the whole essence of servant leadership. We pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit will continue to be amongst us, O oh God, this morning, ministering to our hearts. You know our desires. You know our struggles. You know our difficulties. And in the midst of this, O oh God, your Holy Spirit continues to transform our hearts and to unite us as one in you, O oh God, the body of Christ. Today, O oh God, we come to you and ask for divine wisdom. May you speak to us this morning, God. And truly teach us how to be servant leaders. How to care for each other. How to look out, as it were, Lord, for those who are vulnerable. 
in our society and in our midst. And, O oh God, by your Spirit, may you teach us as families, as a church, how to minister to those who are vulnerable amongst us. Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you this morning. Pray, God, that you remove all distractions and help us to focus on you, God. Help us also to be mindful that it is important to pray and to care for our leaders. Sometimes we tend to neglect this area of our ministry and our body, oh God. But our leaders do need pastoral care. So give us insight. Teach us as a body how we can truly nurture and take care of our leaders. We submit and surrender all to you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I'm not going to go through this scripture as such in terms of reading it again. What I'll do, I'll highlight what I consider the key verse in all of this. And then we'll go from there, hopefully in a systematic way. So I'll start off by talking about, you know, caring for each other in general. How does this, how did this be, um, how did Paul address that, speaking with Timothy? Then we look at how we care for those who are most vulnerable amongst us. And then we'll wrap up by talking about caring for our leaders. Here Paul is giving Timothy who was a young leader, practical advice on pastoral care for the members in general, for the vulnerable, and in those days, the widows were perhaps the most vulnerable within the society, along with orphans. But here Paul was directing his attention primarily to the widows. And then finally, the elders of the church. Yes. Church leaders also need pastoral care. Although this was a personal letter to Timothy, Paul told Timothy in verse 7 to give the people these instructions too, so no one may be open to blame. So although this was a personal letter to Timothy, he was reminding Timothy that we all need these instructions. So through that lens, therefore, we are able to sort of see Paul in the sense that he's speaking to us directly, not only to Timothy. I would like you to look at 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, because I think this is the, the key verse perhaps based on the way I'm approaching this subject. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, and as the King James Version puts it, worse than an infidel. I could share a whole testimony of how my life has changed the whole direction and trajectory of my life 
has changed because of that scripture. To me, this is a powerful scripture. Can you think of anything else, any verse in the Bible, anywhere, <laughs> that would tell you that doing such a thing or not participating in something, you're actually saying you're, you're denying the faith. If you do not care or provide for your relatives, especially their, your own household, Man, you have denied the faith. And you're worse than an unbeliever. That's powerful stuff. That shook me up. <laughs> I think about Osama bin Laden when he said infidel. In their fanatical religion, if they call you an infidel, they'll execute you. And that sort of thing, I'm thinking, man, this is bad stuff. And here, he, Paul, Paul is saying, you're worse than that. So therefore, I think we should stop and take heed. What is he getting at? Of course, if you're unemployed, you're ill, you can't take care of your family. And I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying if you're capable to work, if you're able to work, then we should all take care of our families first. We know that today in our society, a lot of men especially do not take on the responsibility that they need to for their families. And we are now reaping the negative effects of that. That's another whole story. That we, don't, we can't get into. Based on this scripture, I would say that a servant leader's primary responsibility is to care for his or her family members first. If the widows have the full support of their families, are they poor and vulnerable? Think about that. If in every family... The widows have the full support and care of the family members. Would you consider such a person poor? No. So my conclusion is this. This approach is all about prevention. Poverty, depression, anxiety... And spiritual immaturity is a result of us not caring for our family members. Because when you don't, then they drop out into the society and somebody has to pick up that care. And if nobody else wants to do it, then it falls on the state or the church. Or nobody at all. So they are homeless on the street depressed, anxious, and having psychiatric issues. And then there are drug addiction and so on um, coming out of that. Therefore, here the apostolic teaching emphasizes our social responsibility both to the church and society as a whole. By taking care of our family members, especially those who are vulnerable, this is our social responsibility as Christians. 
so that we do not place a burden on the church or society as a whole. To care is to honor and serve others. How do you honor someone? You treat them with great respect and hold them in high esteem. To truly honor someone, your mind and heart must be engaged. We know about politicians, those who lift the baby up, kiss the baby, put on the apron, serve the stuff. I'm not saying we have good politicians coming from the heart. Not even politicians. Some of us do it ourselves. You can serve, but your heart is not in it. It's all a show or for publicity or whatever. That's not what Paul is talking about. It's truly caring where you get engaged completely with the service you're providing. You're honoring the individuals you're serving. It's not for show. Therefore, when I think about caring, I like to combine both. It's honoring and sharing, or serving. Honoring and serving. Caring is an expression of love for others. Caring is more than giving financial assistance. It is being generous with our thoughts towards others. Being kind in our thinking. Be supportive in the way we think about others. Not being judgmental and cynical. It's being generous with our time. Willing to go to the shut-in and sit with them and just talk. I know of a particular sister who is now going shopping for those she's ministering to. Just helping out. It is being generous with our knowledge, our skills, and our talents. If you're a good plumber, and I'm having a plumbing problem, I should be able to talk with a brother, a sister, and they should be able to come along and help me. That doesn't mean I don't pay them, right? <laughs> Sometimes you need to pay them. They need to live too, right? It goes both ways. You don't take advantage of others either. So, you know, if they say, well, no, you don't need to pay me, that's okay. Then the Lord will bless them in other ways. It is using our sphere of influence to open doors for others. Are you able to open doors for others so they, you create job opportunities? You may be in a position where you have political influence. And therefore you can address or relieve issues such related economic and social injustice. When possible. It's providing emotional and spiritual support for others when needed. So caring is much more than just financial assistance. It is essentially displaying the fruit of the Spirit towards others. Galatians 5.22 A scripture that should be a part of all of us. This is how you know, truly know, that the Spirit of God is doing a transforming work in your life, in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the virtues others should experience as they interact with us. 
Let, let us take a closer look at Paul's recommendation on pastoral care for members in general, and in particular for the widows, who were the most vulnerable, as I mentioned before, in the church at that time, or in the society at that time, and then touch briefly on church leaders, given the constraint of time. Although we started at verse 3, to get the full context of how Paul laid, laid it out to, to Timothy and to us, speaking to us, he said you should care for people in general. And there he was saying, for old person, male, then you should be kind, you should be gentle, treat them like a father. So in general, we should be caring for each other. For a young man or young men, you treat them like brothers. Older women, you treat them like mothers. Young women, you treat them like sisters with absolute purity, holiness. So he sort of sets the stage that in general we should be taking care of each other. And then he focused on widows in need within a family context. And this is very important. Verses 3 to 8. Back then, there was no pension. I don't think. Was there any social security? Don't think so either. No life insurance. And it's stated here that few honorable jobs for women, widows, were un, usually unable to support themselves. So essentially, they were extremely vulnerable within the community. A widow with no other family members to support her was doomed to poverty. That is why I think Paul took that approach led by the Holy Spirit for prevention. I am all about prevention even as I practice medicine. And it shocks me sometimes. <laughs> Patient will say, well, Dr. Thomas, I didn't come last year because I was feeling fine. And I would say, that's why you should come. It's counterintuitive. Even my own doctor, Lynn is here. Okay. Um, you guys probably don't know my doctor, so I can talk a little bit. I won't call his name. I, I was telling him I have him symptoms of GERD. And he said, well, are you having problems swallowing? Doctor speaking to a doctor. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> because if you ask him if you have problems swallowing, I'm thinking, man, it's too late. It was just funny, you know, how my mind worked at that time. And my doctor is my friend, right? My doctor is my friend. Orlando, are you having problems swallowing? I'm thinking, come on, man, give me a break. <laughs> if I'm having problems swallowing, I'm in trouble already. No, I'm telling you my symptoms because I want us to address it now. I want to make sure I don't get to the point where I'm having problems swallowing. <clears throat> and that's the point of screening, right? Screening is doing these things. Sorry, guys, I'm getting off into medicine. It's do doing these things before you have symptoms, right? You don't come when you start bleeding and vomiting and, oh, my God, now I'm ready. It's sort of too late. Okay, so you got that one for free. Uh, 
But it's important. And Paul was using the same principle here. Right? Paul was saying, within the context of the family, we should take care of everybody. And we ask the question, if you're taking care of everybody in the family context, are they poor? Obviously not. Because they have access to all the resources you have as a family. And then to really put it out so we can see it, he said that, if you look down to verse 16, if you can't do it as a family, then a non-family member in verse 16 should be able to do that, who are capable of doing that, should do that. And if they can't do it, then the church would take on that responsibility. So what you have here is that when they do reach the level where the church is taking on that responsibility, the church is not overtaxed and overburdened. So in my mind, that's the progression. Take care of your family members. And if you can't, get a friend, a relative, a brother, a sister who's willing to support and come alongside you to help you with that. I think a lot of you guys, I don't know if you realize it, one of the most difficult things is to take care of a family member who has a chronic illness in a sense that will never get better, cannot be cured. That is difficult stuff. And I think it's highly, highly underestimated in our society. How much support family members need. Not only prayer, but physically being there with them and giving them breaks so that they can go off and sort of pull themselves together. It's a difficult thing in our society. It will drive you actually mentally ill. So I want us to be, be, be mindful of that, of people within our midst who are caring for family members with chronic illnesses that are incurable. So Paul went on to say, children, grandchildren should learn first to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family members to support her. Sorry, we are Care for their own family members and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. So isn't that interesting? There's a twofold thing going on here. One, you're doing the prevention so they don't end up in difficulties and problems. And two, you're training the children. The family's been trained to care. If you have all families like that within our church, what is going to happen? We're naturally going to care for each other. And then he went on to say after that, verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives. But he actually stated it before, that we should train the the grandchildren and the children of those widows to take care of those members of the family. And then he went on in verse 9 to talk about the role of the church. This scripture really got me for many, many years. Let's look at it in verse 9. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. For many years, I don't think I fully understood that, that scripture. And I don't know if others here went through the same thing. Because in my mind at first, blush looking at it, I thought, it seemed like Paul was setting up this criteria 
for the church to take care of women, um, of widows. And I'm, here I was struggling with, so what happened to the others who didn't make the list? Were they being cared for? Right? I don't know. Anybody else in here had that problem? <laughs> it's just me. But I had that issue because I didn't look into it deeply. Then I got my haha moment. <laughs> Paul said it before in verse 3, I think he said, honor all widows. And I told you the, the progression. The family would take care of the widows first or the vulnerable. And when I say widow, in our society, don't think about widow. Think about people who are in general, homeless, chronic illness, shut-ins, you know, the vulnerable in our society. The family should take care of them first. Then perhaps a non-family member, then the church. So everybody was covered. So Paul is not saying that the church shouldn't take, should just take care of just a select group. He's saying the church should take care of all those who cannot be cared for by family members or other members of the society. And here's what he said. The widows that were on the list, they took a vow committing themselves to work for the church in exchange for support. That's the difference. So within the church, you have two groups, right? You have the widows on the list and the widows who weren't on the list. And what's the big group that wasn't on the list? The young ones, right? On the 60. Paul was worried about them taking this vow and then wanting to get married. So he said, let's put that age 60. At first I thought that was the age of retirement, <laughs> but they were working for the church. So at age 60, it's less likely that they would remarry and much more likely to commit to that vow. And you know what came to my mind at that time? Is this a precursor for nuns? I don't know. I mean, that's what came to my mind. So he married the age with character, a certain, what should we call this? There are certain virtues that he wanted also along with the age to ensure that they were demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, which reflects a transformation of their heart, which means that they're much more likely to keep their vows. Because I was also upset with Paul for saying at the time, you know, the, the, the younger women can't be a part of this because I didn't understand it. And why he's telling them to go get married? But now I understand it. They were caring for all the widows, but these were just a select group who wanted to devote themselves exclusively to the work of the Lord. And if you're going, since these widows on the list are working for the church, the age limit and character reference, to me, those are critical. Because you're now working for the church. And these criteria that were set out by Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, I believe, they definitely reduce the risk of the widows breaking their vows. We should hold with great respect or high esteem those who are most vulnerable amongst us. Such as the elderly, the homeless, the unemployed, even the underemployed, the sick, the shut-in, the disabled, and those with mental illness. 
we need to assist and support them, not only financially, but emotionally and spiritually as a church community. The church has limited resources and always had to balance financial responsibility with generosity. Members must therefore work as hard as they can to be as independent as possible to reduce burden on the church. And Paul demonstrated this in Acts 20, verse 35 to, 33 to 35, and you can read this. Paul was speaking to Timothy, and Timothy was the pastor at the church in Ephesus. And at one point when Paul was passing by, I think it was in Melitus, close to Ephesus, he actually called the elders over from Ephesus, and he was speaking to them. And I'm paraphrasing. He basically said in that scripture, I've never coveted anybody for their gold, silver, or whatever. And I work very, very hard so that I could provide for myself and for those brethren around me who are in need. So he has demonstrated the same thing. And we know all, that Paul was also considered a tent maker. And he said he did that so that he won't be a burden on the church. So he has demonstrated that in his life. He spoke to Timothy about it. He's now talking to us about it. And he reminded the elders. So this was very, very important. That we should strive to be independent of the church when it comes to resources. Help our family, help ourselves, help our brothers. And I spoke about the non-member, non-family members and how they should care. And Paul said it quickly. He said, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. And I'll just close by just touching on caring for elders and leaders. Increasingly, I've noticed, and I, I'm sure you guys have read it, that in the society today, there are a lot of anxiety, depression, and suicide. Definitely on the rise, for sure. I don't know if it's the same thing in the church, but one thing I have known is in the last two years, it has affected the church in a significant way. We are also close to an organization in Jamaica that deals with suicide in young people. So there's this increase in anxiety, depression, and even suicide. Recently, a, a, a brother of ours who I've known for many, many years, he has led some of the prominent leaders in the church in Jamaica to the Lord back in the days. And he shot himself in the garage just less than a, a year ago. And sometimes I think as a church, we don't understand that it's very important for us to support our leaders. Sometimes this job as a leader can be very lonely and stressful, right? And they, they all need pastoral care. And to us as leaders, I, I want to say that we should find one or two persons that we trust and care about. If you remember, I talk about when I get home, I feel comfortable, right? I can lay down my guard. I can relax, right? I don't feel stressed out. And it's the same thing. We all, as leaders, have to find a place or a person where we can do that. And leaders in the church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The elders are leaders who direct the affairs of the church, especially those who work hard 
at preaching and teaching deserve double honor. I mean, the Holy Spirit is just so wise, you know. He said they deserve double honor. Fully understand what we go through as human beings when we are in, those, in this position. In Jamaican parlance, we'd say they deserve enough love and respect. We have to love on these, our leaders. We have to care for our leaders. We have to respect our leaders. We should pay them well or within you know, the confines of how much we can afford. And I have here perhaps following the guidelines set by our denomination. But then the local church has to decide that, of course. Never entertain an accusation against an elder or leader without two or three witnesses. You know, sometimes the problem is me or you and not the leader. If I am the only person complaining and whining about a leader, most likely I am the problem or a major contributor to the problem. So think about that. That's why I said you need two or three witnesses. So if you're the only one whining, be careful. Self-awareness and self-knowledge are critical when it comes to building healthy relationships and conflict resolution. Pastor Scott and his wife Julia recommended this book. I think it's a great book. While I was away, I, I was reading it. And I'm still reading it. And I think if you're interested in this area, you really should read this book. It's The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey of Self-Discovery by Ian Morgan Kranz and Susan Stable. Really, really wonderful book to understand yourself. This is just a tool. It's not totally accurate, but it really helps me to focus more on understanding who I am and gain much more insight in terms of self-knowledge. Finally, I just want to touch on do not be hasty in laying on hands and do not share in the sins of others. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 to 7, and they laid out criteria for choosing a deacon, a bishop, right? Character reference was critical. Husband of one wife, you know, honorable, not a drunkard, and all those things. You can go and just read that. Character reference. So before you start laying on hands or appoint individual to position in the church, it's very important that you go through, we go through this process. And I think to, it also says you should not appoint someone who's a new convert. So you have to be slow, you have to deliberate, you have to have your criteria set out. Why? Because these are the same leaders, if you appoint them too early and they not have the guidance as they mature, they're going to get burned out. They're going to get depressed. They're going to get anxious. So there's a reason for saying, do not be hasty when you do these things. And as a church, we need to recognize that. So finally, in summary, I would say that first, family members, then non-family members, and finally, the church should take care of those who are most vulnerable amongst us. Remember, leaders also need pastoral care. Thank you.